the many themes we've discussed in our conversations on the Mountaineer Media Podcast is that the future is unpredictable. Alright, yes, that is a very vague way of saying nobody knows where life is going to take ya, but ultimately that's what also makes it so beautiful. No matter what corner, holler, or small town you grow up in, your future is truly a product of your imagination, hard work, and attitude. And our guest today, I'm pretty sure she'd agree. Sylvia M. Burwell has held some of the most powerful positions in the world. She was a former cabinet member for both President Bill Clinton and President Barack Obama. And currently, she's the president of American University in Washington, D.C., serving as the first woman in that role in the school's history. And she also ran a little thing called the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for over a decade. So how does all of this tie together? Well, she's from the small town of Hinton, West Virginia, and went to a high school that doesn't even exist anymore. Shout out to all the Hinton Bobcats out there who were listening. But the point is, it doesn't matter where you're from. Go be the best that you can be. Because at the end of the day, who knows what's in your future. All right, all right. Let's get to the actual interview, right? You guys are going to love her. We had a wonderful conversation. So let's bring on the great and powerful Sylvia M. Burwell. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Okay, President Burwell, thanks for joining us today. I don't even know necessarily where to start if we start that you are a former Obama cabinet appointee, the first woman president of American University or that you grew up and you've known former guest Terry Giles since you were four years old from tiny Hinton, West Virginia. Where of all of those things should we start today? I think we should start with him. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Uh, the connections there, we, we talked to Terry, you know, about a month ago now, and she was like, you definitely need to go talk to um, President Burwell. And, and we, we were all about it, but she just said that you guys have been lifelong friends and obviously you have um, certainly still hold Hinton uh, dear to your heart. Absolutely. Uh, Terry Giles, Christy, um, Boris Scott, and uh, Kelly Kirk Henthorne. These are my best friends. Kelly's in, in Lewisburg these days, but these are my best friends from, uh, from forever and still are to this day. And I'm in regular contact uh, with them. And we go back to Hinton to visit my mom. We take the kids back regularly uh, to see my mom and also so that our children are connected uh, to Hinton and the life that I grew up with and the people uh, that are an important part of my life. Very nice. So talk to us about Hinton because you, you know, like, like CJ outlined, you, you grew up, you, you've accomplished many, many things. But when you were growing up, what was what was the thought process as you were like in grade school and, you know, middle school and high school? Did you did you have aspirations to do all these things or where did you see yourself when you were, you know, a young lady within West Virginia? You know, it's funny because I really didn't. Um, I didn't know or think that I was necessarily going anywhere or would do um, any of these things It just just kept doing um, as things would come along. And some of the core concepts that you know one learns uh, in a community of that size, and you all know as, as part of West Virginia, the ideas of service, 
Mm -hmm. um, and doing your best. And, you know, those things, one thing would lead to another and lead to another. And, you know, it was a very real sense of community. I was very fortunate when, you know, and everyone was so supportive. I can remember once when um, I was captain of the current events team <laughs> and we were double A school and we were going up against Woodrow, uh, Woodrow Wilson in uh, Beckley. Yep. And, you know, they were a big triple A school and, you know, Hinton, we were going at it and like everybody in town was like watching. It was one of those that was on the local TV. You know, you could watch the the competition with hitting the buzzers and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like they let the kids in the elementary school watch it so that they could cheer us on and see what we can do. Um, got letters from like the head of the bank. You know, everybody was like. <laughs> you guys were so local proud. superstars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we were like the current events team. And, you know. And so there was all kinds of support uh, in terms of that. And that's what you grew up with. And that made a huge, huge difference. I can remember once coming back from lunch, I used to walk home for lunch every day um, and coming back and my guidance counselor, this is when I am, um, I'm a, uh, a junior and my guidance counselor stops me in the halls. I'm going to my afternoon classes and he's like, okay, we just got this letter and there's this new program and, and they're going to pick two people from every state to go to Japan. Do you want to try? And like, you know, I, I was like, sure, let's give it a whirl, you know, and <laughs> like my best recommendation was written by my basketball coach, Beth Pattenthorpe. And so like, it was a community, we were all doing things together, working together, um, getting things done. And that kind of was the trajectory that led me to do the things that I've done. It's funny how those those moments, you can still pick out those moments through your childhood and be like, that was a major point in my life where I, it set me on the path that I ended up where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so after high school, where, where then, cause you, you go ahead. Well, after high school, um, I went to college and I went to Harvard. Yeah. And I was very, very fortunate because my sister actually blazed that trail. Um, I'm not sure, you know, we really didn't know, you know, about the Ivy League or things like that. But my sister was the one who sort of like stepped out, tried some of these things and, and did it. And then I followed in her footsteps um, and went there and uh, studied for four years. And uh, when I was there, there were five West Virginians in my class. Oh, very um, cool. And uh, in the whole class of about 1600 students wow. in the, uh, my class, there were five West Virginians. And interestingly, one of them, was a woman named Ann Geiger, um, who was a basketball player and I played against, she was played for Athens um, and I of course played for Hinton. Um, and so knew, at least knew Ann, like got there and at least like Ann was one person that I actually- I got one friend here. Somebody <laughs> knew. Yeah, exactly. That I knew. Um, and then also um, from my trip to Japan, there were people that I had met on that trip that were there, but, um, not a lot of folks from, from West Virginia. Uh, so brought, you know, a bit of West Virginia up to the Northeast. Represented. So then, so then you start your career, you, you get out of college and then was the, where, where did it start? Cause you've went on to do a lot of nonprofit work and, you know, work with political campaigns. How did you, did you get pulled into that world or how did you kind of lead yourself into the world of, of nonprofit and politics or how did that start after college? So it was a combination of, um, I think things that are, uh, related to my childhood. And, and one is just the concept of service mm -hmm. um, and the importance of that. And that sometimes comes in the world of philanthropy and 
philanthropy and sometimes comes in the world of government. And that has like started a long, long time ago. I can actually remember the first campaign, you know, I worked on was actually a losing campaign for Jay Rockefeller the first time he <laughs> wasn't elected. And like, I'm like six or seven, I still have my little J button. And when we were in the third grade, we campaigned for my best friend, Christy's father, Bill Gore for county commissioner, um, you know, and did that. And so became engaged and involved in that way. Um, and also the service component. In our house, you could not go trick-or-treating until you went trick-or-treating for UNICEF. <laughs> uh, so you would go from like four it. to six, you would do all the houses with your little thing, trick-or-treating for UNICEF, and then you could oh, go back go and wow. do um, the candy thing. So this idea of service and that sort of thing started there. Um, and then when I get to college, um, I spent some of my summers doing different things. Like I was an intern for Congressman Nick Joe Rahal, uh, mm-hmm. and uh and one of my summers did uh, work like that. Another one of my summers I spent actually working for the governor of Massachusetts. And so started learning about those things in um, that way, but also worked, uh, you know, in terms of continuing the, the themes of service and things that, you know, I had learned growing up in terms of trying to serve others. And that's a part of, I think, what led to all, a lot of my work in philanthropy. Very cool. Because then, and just to give people a timeline here, 2001, around that era, you relocate out to Seattle. And then is that when you were involved with the, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? How the heck did that come about? And what what was that? What was that like working for such, you know, such a well-known organization? So um, that came about at the end of the time I served during the Clinton administration. I served in um, the, the White House, the Treasury the Office of Management and Budget for the eight years of uh, the Clinton administration. And then um, I was recruited by the Gates Foundation um, to come out and uh, be a part of some of the initial days of the Gates Foundation. When I got there, it had really only been going for a couple of years and um, they recruited me and I was going to be chief operating officer, be uh, uh, you know on the operations side and start their work in advocacy, the, the work which was about making sure that others came along in the work and whether that was government or the private sector and the partnership work and the idea that uh, philanthropy can do a part, but things need to be scaled either through government or markets, one or the other. And so I, um, they recruited me and I decided, you know, um, I thought, you know what, this is a, potentially a really big place for change. You can do things at scale. I've been fortunate to work in government where you can make change at scale. And so then the Gates Foundation seemed like it was a risk, but like if a risk worked out, it was the kind of thing where you could have real change. And I felt that Bill and Melinda and Bill Sr., Bill's father who recently passed this year, um, that they were really and truly committed to making change. This wasn't some, this wasn't some side thing. They were very interested in the work and it was being led by a great leader, Patty Stoonsiper. Did you find too, because that, that's kind of when the Gates Foundation name seemed to have started picking up some steam. Did you feel like that, that was a turning point for, for that organization as well as soon as you kind of went out there? Well, I think I, I would not attribute it to, to not just me, to you, but it was <laughs> a, team, a team that really um, at that point in time, we were just it growing and moving and focusing the work and, you know, Bill and Melinda built a team uh, together with their uh, father and father-in-law and Patty were building the structures where you could do real long-term change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether that was in the vaccine space, I mean, right now today, we're all benefiting from the work of the Gates Foundation. Yeah. 
the cases that were initially found in the US in Seattle were found because it was a Gates Foundation project that was working on the flu. Um, and right now the Gates Foundation is already investing in second generation vaccines uh, for mm. COVID. Wow. And so um, the work of the foundation, whether it's in schools or libraries, you know, um, some of the work that we worked on and many people probably don't even remember, but the Gates Foundation wired so many of the public libraries. It, it wired uh, our public library in Hinton, West Virginia, did all across the state. Um, and so the idea of all the work and impact was something that was starting to grow and take hold when I was fortunate to be there. And I was there for 11 years uh, wow. working across all kinds of different issues at the foundation. I'm sure there were times you're like, I'm never leaving. <laughs> Seattle is, you know, Seattle is beautiful because it has mountains and water like we do in West yeah, yeah. Because I'm from Hinton, Three Rivers in the Lake, and yep. you have the mountains. And so um, it is beautiful. And a lot of people there like the outdoors, which is something that was similar. But boy, it is far. And we'll get to your time, you know, as a college university president. But I want to ask you this is because I speak with, you know, I'm not too far removed from college myself. I'm 26, and I, but I'm a mentor to a lot of college students. And they always ask me, um, you know, I, I'm involved with a bunch of different projects. You know, like this podcast is not CJ and I's full-time job. It's just a passion project. I always credit my um, passion with different projects is, to West Virginia being a people person. Like I just, I know a lot of people and I, I like genuinely caring and working with other people. Have you ever found that because you've certainly, you know, of course you've bounced around all of these major organizations and you've crossed government with nonprofit and private sector. Do you credit any, anything back to West Virginia? It's just, we just simply know how to talk to people and, and odds are when you get in a room with a West Virginian, it's, it's probably the nicest person in there. I'll just say is going to be the West Virginian. Um, can you trace any of that back to West Virginia with what you've done? Absolutely. You know, the idea and concept of community and people, and that's how you how you get things done in life in the world and you get things done and you get things done in a way that is better and more enjoyable in terms of, you know, all the concepts of knowing people. And it is also about communicating and being authentic, you know, in terms of the things that like, that's just the way it is. You know, that's the way you grow up. That's the way, you know, you talk to everybody, you know, in a town like Hinton. You know, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the way it is. Um, and you try and, and help and support each other in whatever you're doing. And, you know, those skills are actually extremely important when you are a manager. When I am president of a university, understanding right. the importance of a community that is supporting each other, whether that's the students or the faculty or the staff or our alumni, how we work. And I would say you know, this community concept that I learned so well as a child Mm -hmm. uh, and grew up with is something that has carried American. We've done very well, you know, during COVID. We've been very, very fortunate. We haven't had to do, you know, we've been able to manage, been able to manage the money and everything. No layoffs, been 400,000 layoffs in higher ed. We haven't had to do that. We've supported oh. our community, our contract workers who, um, you know, they can't come and do the dining because we don't have students dining here or cleaning because most of our students aren't here. We've been paying their health care. You know, these are all the kinds of concepts that you know you grew up with and you learned and um, have served me incredibly well. And the communication thing is important mm -hmm. because it is, you know, even if you have an idea, if you can't articulate it or spread it or move it, um, it's not gonna, it's not gonna tip and it's not gonna scale. I'm sure you learned that all the way back from those current event days. Um, <laughs> so that so you 
go to Walmart. You you work with uh, the, the Walmart Foundation as well. And then you end up back in politics. What was kind of, how did that transition work? And, and what were those steps? So we, I left the Gates Foundation and my husband, Stephen, and our two children, Helene and Matthew, we moved to Arkansas and we're in Arkansas for just really one year. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes the second term of the Obama administration. And they approached me about coming back and becoming um, the director of the Office of Management and Budget, uh, where I had been deputy director during the Clinton years. And so um, we made the decision that, um, you know, it'd be an honor to serve and was a, a position that hopefully I could help with and add value. That was a time when we were in the sequester and there was a lot of gridlock in that space mm-hmm. of the budgeting and um, thought again, you know, these ideas that we're talking about community, getting along with people, you know, I was very fortunate. I came back and I was confirmed 98 to zero Republicans and Democrats there you uh, go. <laughs> because I have worked across the aisle and because it is, you know, understanding that, you know, you need to listen and you need to hear and it's okay to have different opinions and it's okay to want different solutions, but you gotta be ready to listen and respect um, Mm -hmm. others to try and move things forward. Hey, what's up guys? Cooper here for the Chevy Halftime Show. Just kidding, Chevy doesn't sponsor us, but Mr. B does and Mr. B is one of the only chips, I believe the only chip manufactured in West Virginia. So thank you for sponsoring the Mountaineer Media Podcast. And uh, look guys, mountaineermedia.org. We got a website, we're up and running. We got blogs coming out like to the tune of one to two, maybe three a day. I mean, our blog team right now sits at like eight or nine people. I believe we're gonna have around 15 when we're all said and done, but check them out, mountaineermedia.org. If you wanna, you know, maybe you're not an audio person, but if you're listening, I'm guessing you are an audio person. Um, But if you also like to read, we're blogging and we're gonna fire back up the Do Something Good campaign. When uh, the weather breaks, we'll continue to plant trees, merchandise. We have merchandise, we have, Bargains, we got coffee cups, we got you know shirts, we're a lot of cool stuff. Check the store on mountaineermedia.org. And uh, I don't know, I think that's about it, guys. I think let's get right back to the episode with Sylvia M. Burwell, the president of American University, right now. Boy, that's that's something we need uh, now, I would say more, more than ever. Um, I, I'm looking at a picture of you right now. It looks like you were in the Oval Office. What what was President Obama like? And what I mean, I, you know, I guess you at that point you'd been around. Um, I guess I'm assuming presidents, and you'd been involved in sitting in the Oval Office. But do, do you ever just think about that and be like, wow, like that is just something like you know, a, a girl from Hinton now sitting in the Oval Office leading, you know, federal governments. What's what's that feel like, and what was that experience like? Does the maybe my question is like, does the shock or awe ever leave you when you're in that situation? You know, no. It's always an incredible uh, privilege to be able to serve and to be, uh, you know, able to be a part of you know, the representation of the American people and to try and, and move our country forward. One of the moments, you know, a story about like one of those seminal moments where you're like that, that distance that one has traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, I was traveling with President Clinton and we were in Russia and it was the 50th anniversary of um, the ending of World War I, uh, World mm-hmm. War II, excuse me. And so there was this huge fireworks display and we were standing on top of a building we were actually on top of the building watching these fireworks. And President Clinton turns to me and he goes, Sylvia, you and I are a long way from hope and him. <laughs> and, you know, it really does strike you. But yes, we were a very, very long way um, from hope and him. In, in that way, 
but in another way we weren't. And that was one of the most important things as you serve is not being too far from hope. Right. Yeah. Because that's how you say proximate to what is really important to people, what they care about, what they want, um, and what they're thinking. And, you know, that's like mostly around their family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, what most people, their friends, their, you know, day-to-day lives. And that's why HHS was a great place today to work because as the secretary of health and human services, I used to say, I am the secretary of the kitchen table issues. <laughs> you know, it's the stuff that you're talking about at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you sit down to a meal, it's what you care about and what you as a family have to do. And that was the department of the kitchen table. That's so cool because you were back in that political realm and, and it was almost just, I don't want to say like just a pat on the back from political leaders, but in a way you were very well respected among that community. Um, I mean, from President Clinton and President Obama, obviously Congress as well. Um, did you feel like you just, you were just doing the right thing, whatever your gut told you, or would, what, yeah. how did you kind of, what was your navigator? You know? Yeah. I mean, your values are your navigator and that comes mm-hmm. back to Cooper's question about, you know, what does West Virginia give you that makes the difference when you have that kind of core, you know, whether you call it your North star, you know, mm-hmm. kind of keeps you, um, going. If your North star is, you know, the basics of your values, the basics of the idea of community, and the idea of, you know, I'm here to make things better uh, for the country. That's like, you know, and that helps um, because the work is hard. The hours are long. It's never easy. You know, the arguments are many. You know, people have different points of views. Mm-hmm. The answers to the questions are hard. By the time a problem gets to the White House or gets to the secretary, it's a tough problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I fighting pandemics, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's doable. You got to focus. You got to get it done, but it's not necessarily easy. Let me ask you because you were also tied. You had connections with the the CDC as well, right? That was kind CDC of that wheelhouse. To, yeah, the CDC yeah. reported to me. Do you have contacts now that you're like, "Whew, I'm glad I'm out of there," or, or where do you know what what are kind of the com- those, com- you know, those conversations um, during the COVID um, uh, pandemic that we've been having? Um, I have tried and attempted as a former secretary to, you know, try and use my voice to um, help um, externally with the right things and the right behaviors and the right, making sure that we're sharing the right knowledge and facts so people can make decisions for themselves and their families every day. And at the same time, try and support um, any pieces or parts of the effort that are going on, you know, in terms of trying to, trying to do that uh, in terms of whether that's the articulation of like, well, what do we need? Mm-hmm. We need a, a, a national approach that's nimble and flexible, that gives a, enough guidance. You know, the government should be doing two things. Number one, making sure that we have tools. Like West Virginia has done an incredible job of moving the vaccine. We've been mm-hmm. using our local pharmacies, um, like my cousin in Williamson. Uh, you know, we've been using folks like that. She's a pharmacist there. Yeah. We've been using that. West Virginia's doing a terrific job, number one in the nation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Getting the vaccines out. Huge thumbs mm-hmm. up for West Virginia, number one. Um, and I brag about it everywhere I go in terms <laughs> of our state. Love you know, it. we used our local community, but making sure you have the tools. So the federal government's job is to make sure that the vaccines can get to the state so that they can use their their mechanisms. And then the second thing the government's responsible for, and you know, as a former public servant, want to help with is the communication, the clarity of communication. Pandemics, there's a lot of uncertainty. 
-hmm. There are knowns and unknowns. And you got to admit that up front and say, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. And we keep updating you as we learn and, and know more and just make sure people have the information because what's different about a pandemic than another kind of war is we send our troops to go fight it. A pandemic, we're all fighting. Like mm-hmm. we're all troops. Man. We're on the front lines. Each and every one of us are on the front right. lines. And so you got to know what to do. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's absolutely we just, huge. We just had Dr. Clay Marsh on. Terrific. Yeah, I'm in it, touch with Clay. I'm really in touch with Dr. Marsh. He's fabulous. He's doing a terrific job and have, um, you know, he is doing a great, uh, you know, role for our state in a terrific way. No, we stay in touch, uh, try and help wherever I can. And when I have questions, I often call him. He laughed. He said, czars usually die a bad death. He's hoping to change that in West Virginia, known as the coronavirus czar, of course. But uh, yeah, no, you're exactly right. So, okay, let's let's continue because we do want to talk about your your position now at American University. You didn't travel very far, did you, from your last gig to this one? <laughs> no, no, it is it isn't too far uh, from the last one. We didn't we didn't move, although we had to move across town. And mm-hmm. uh, the children at that point, I think, were when we moved. It was. Uh, over three years ago. So it's like, you know, they're 10 and seven and our 10 year old daughter, when I was like, well, sweetie, we're not moving. And she looked at me and she said, mom, when you're 10, when you move your house and your school, we're moving. (laughs) I would have said the same thing. (laughs) She's like, you think we're not moving because we're not moving cities. We're moving. So, yeah. So, so you're the first woman president of American university. That's an amazing accomplishment. What, what, what's the work? I mean, I, I know we, we've had the chance to speak with Gordon Gee um, at West Virginia university as well. And he, what I find is uh, college university presidents, they, they're, they're good operators. They're strategic, high level, high level thinking people, but they love the students. They love staying connected with the students and the students almost ground them. And you can really, you hear their passion come through when they're speaking about the students. So for you know, knowing our audience is a lot of kids that are maybe fresh out of college. Um, what, what would you say to a young individual right now, if they're in college or just left college um, maybe as like a guiding some principles that you found helpful as you've you know, navigated a wonderful career. Um, uh, I guess a couple of things that I would say is you're trying to think about that career thing. First of all, enjoy your college years. Yep. Yeah. I know it's hard and, yeah. I, and it's challenging and it should be. That's part of what we're supposed to do. That's part of what Dr. Gee and I are supposed to do is make sure that it is challenging. So you grow and you grow um, as a whole. You grow academically, but you grow as a whole. That's a, a, a big and important part. And I think recognizing the, uh, the whole student not just the academic part of the student or the athletic part of the student, or, you know, if you're in performing arts, it's the whole student um, that, that's quite important in terms of growing. But as you think about, so enjoy, mm-hmm. I know that's hard, um, especially around exam time. It's particularly mm-hmm. hard. Um, and during this COVID time, I know it's really hard, uh, but enjoy. And then the second thing I would say is you think about that career and what you're going to do and, and that sort of thing. And um, a couple of things, one, there are three questions that I think are pretty important to ask about whatever it is you're doing or going to do. And it's, am I learning? Am I contributing? Am I having fun? And if you can put together, you know, 40 years of that, you'll have had a good career. I'll say you you will have enjoyed yourself. You will, and you will have made a difference. Yeah. 
what did you feel like you'd learned through those previous experiences to kind of get you ready for this position now? And how different is being the president of a university compared to working for the president of the United States, obviously? So I sometimes like to say that being the president of a university is more like being a mayor and being a secretary in a department is more like being a CEO. Hmm. And it gets to the point that you all talked about that Dr. Gee and, and I um, often talk about, which is you're much more, you're much closer to those you serve. Mm-hmm. You know, you're serving, you're in a role of service as a secretary, but you're much closer. I'm walking across the campus. I just, you know, saw as when I walked to the office, uh, even though we don't have that many on our campus, uh, you know, I saw some of our students. I saw, you know, one of our basketball players after our men and our women, four victories this weekend. <laughs> they were doing um, well, um, in terms of some of the things that we're able to do. Uh, and I very much miss having a full campus and seeing the students. I have to do Zoom breakfast. I usually have breakfast with the students. I have mm-hmm. students in and have breakfast with them so that I can see what's going on, hear what's going on. Um, uh, I walk, I either walk or ride my bike to work um, every day. When I'm, when I'm coming every day, I come, I don't get to come every day. I come a number of days, but not every day, um, in order that I can see the community. I see the faculty, I see the staff, I see the students when I'm out on the campus each day. And that's a lot of what gives you the energy. Um, you know, both it's the students and the work that they're doing. And, you know, I walk across campus and a student will come up to me like, they have a new idea, you know, the 150 clubs that we have are not enough. And like, they want to start this thing and they want to do this thing. And I mean, it's just great. The passion, two of our graduate students, when they knew that Washington DC was going to be shutting down because of all the uh, security that needed for the inauguration, sadly, they went around to the homeless and got the Metro cards so they could get out of the zones where they wow. would be blocked. They gave them hand warmers. They made sure they had masks. You know, this was just a project that two of our graduate students decided they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that really gives you energy. We, our strategy here at American University is change makers for a changing world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting to see the students and their energy is just terrific. And for that inspires you. I mean, it, you know, in a lot of ways you inspire other people. I'm sure people are going to listen to this and be like, wow, you know, I, I'm charged up, but, but you get an inspiration from those young people as well. Totally. And you're very approachable. I'm sure if somebody sees you on campus, like you said, and they had an idea and they know who you are, they're, they're not afraid to come oh, up yeah. and say something. Oh, yeah. No, they completely do. And, you know, I welcome that. Yeah, you know, that's, um, that's, you know, a great part of it. No, it is, it is uh, you know, I go to the games. I guest coached our uh, women's basketball. I'm one and one. <laughs> I was going to say, what's your record? <laughs> <laughs> that's why we got to get back to, like, normalcy so I can, like, yeah. make my record. Well, I know that in past interviews, you've said that you're a a sports fan. I will say um, was the year that our women got to go to uh, the big dance. Mm -hmm. Flew out with them to um, LA uh, and they they lost their first game, but we made it. Yeah. We still stepped on. It was great and wonderful. And then our students, you know, we are number uh, two in the nation for the United uh, Model UN. Oh, very cool. All these things that the, the students do and I and we are a highly politically active campus yeah so you can imagine in, in DC yeah. we'll... protest at the <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah we'll we'll look well President Burwell we know you're you're busy and we, we appreciate it I mean I think um you know like I said a lot of people are gonna listen to this they're gonna be proud that you're from West Virginia so thank you for representing the state well and um we'll hope to stay in touch with you and we wish you the best 
Yes, and just congratulations on doing this. Like a, a couple of our students have started um, podcasts like this. Awesome. It's just terrific and um, it's wonderful and it's such a great way to, to move and share information. And what you all are sharing information about is something I am quite passionate about as you probably got a sense of. So thank you for having me as your guest. Well, we're proud to say that you still visit West Virginia. You still keep a place for this state in your heart. So that definitely. Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad you had Terry on and Appalachian uh, beekeeping cooperative yes. uh, yes. in terms yes. of the honey, because everyone I know got ABC honey. It's the best. One. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Terry was awesome. Terry is energized and, you know, something I know that we're, we're wrap, wrapping up here, but something that you've also alluded to, you just never know where life's going to take you. And that nope. is also the case for, as for you, as for Terry, President Gee, several other guests that we've had, you just never know where life's going to take you. But yep. uh, it's gotten us here in front of a Zoom interview with you. And, and we thank you for that. So thank, thank you again. And, and God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. See ya. Okay, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thank you, President Burwell, for taking some time to speak with us. Just a little behind-the-scenes look. We had that interview set up for like a month, and it was going to be a morning interview. And then, thanks to yours truly, we had to push it to the afternoon. And we weren't even sure that we were going to be able to reschedule, at least on that day. So, President Burwell, thank you for making sure that that happened. And your scheduler as well for finding that extra space in your schedule to squeeze us in there. We can't thank you enough. We love the interview. Best of luck to you. You're representing the Mountain State uh, extremely well. And I know that some of your friends back from Hinton, I'm, I'm certain, I am sure, are very proud of the work that you're doing as well. So thank you again and good luck. On another note, our blog is up and running. Make sure to go check it out at mountaineermedia.org if you have not yet. Quick shout out to the Mountaineer Media blog team too because these guys have been kicking butt here over the last two weeks. Jess Riggins, Joe Justice, Johnny McFadden, Sierra Williams, Travis Kale, Jessica Neal, Catherine Allen, and Julie Blackwood. Thank you guys for your contributions so far. We're going to have a lot of fun. And if you would like to be a blogger for the Mountaineer Media team, hey, reach out to us, mountaineermediapodcast at gmail.com. We are going to be adding a couple of more names to that list here very soon. So make sure to check us out on the blog page, mountaineermedia.org. And if you would like to inquire about possibly being a part of our team, hey, reach out to us. Shoot us a note. We'll hop on a phone call and we'll talk a little bit and pick your brain and, and see where your head's at. So we'd love to add uh, as many people to the staff as, as much as possible. So make sure to check that out. Check out the website. Check out the blog. And as always, stay with us right here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Podcast.